Welcome to Passion Life Church. How you doing this morning? Hey, thanks for coming to church this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Did you like Phoenix? Ah, I love that. That was so great. Welcome to part two of a series that we've entitled Ideal Family. And what we're doing in this series is we're trying to close the gap between the ideal family that we all dream about, you know, that marriage that you dreamed about, the kids that you dreamed about having. We're going to close the gap on that between the real family and then, I mean, between the ideal family and the real family that we all live in. And I believe that God's word has so many great principles for our lives. And let's look at our theme scripture today. It's Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4. This is the scripture that we have been using throughout this series. It says, through wisdom, everybody say wisdom. Wisdom, a house is built. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the skill to apply knowledge. And it says wisdom is the house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, somebody say knowledge. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge. Now, let me just say it this way. Knowledge is the truths. And understanding is the ability to translate meaning. I use the illustration of this school. Somebody had the knowledge that, okay, we need to build a school. The understanding was kids need to get educated. But then we had to bring in an architect to have the wisdom to draw out the plans. That's how the house is built. And that's what we're looking at in this series. We're looking at the wisdom of God regarding our family. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to talk about marriage. And I've entitled today, The Mystery of Marriage. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We'll be reading that in just a moment, but you can, you can just kind of camp there for a moment. And so as we talk about marriage today, I want to ask you a question, a real simple question. And I want you to think about this. What is marriage? What, what, is, what is marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? What is it supposed to mean? Because I think if we don't know the meaning, how do we even know in our lives what we're trying to accomplish? Well, Pastor Phil, I got married. You know, he was my dream. He reminded me of John Stamos. Come on, somebody. John Stamos is like 120 and he looks like he's 30. Come on, somebody say amen. He was my John Stamos. I was a big full house. Um, I loved full house. You know, that's the ideal. But then you married him and then you got into the real stuff, right? You got into real. You find out that he lays on the couch, that he watches TV. But I asked this question about marriage because I find it interesting that one out of every two marriages is not working. And ladies and gentlemen, I wish I could say that that was just in the world. That's in the church. That's in the church. That there is a 50-50 chance for people when they come together that they can stay together. And let me just tell you, second marriages and third marriages, the percentages are much higher. But here's the good news. The good news is, is that you and I have a 100% chance to, get, to, to have a successful marriage if we'll do it God's way. Let me say that again. You and I, despite statistics, have a 100% success rate if we do it God's way. How many of you know that in the Bible there's a bunch of ifs? If, if you do, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. There's a bunch of ifs in the Bible. 
But I believe that if we do marriage God's way, then guess what? We can have a 100% success rate. Now, let's, let's just preface this as we dive in and we talk about marriage. You know, today maybe you're single and ready to mingle. Come on, somebody. Right? And one day you have a vision of you want to get married. You know, maybe you're here and, you know, you're married and your, your spouse is, you know, just not saved. Or there's, there's some conflict. There's contention. You know, um, I believe today's message can help you. But I think that we need to come and understand that there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Why? Because there's imperfect people. We are all imperfect people. Right? Can I see a show of hands how many imperfect people that we have? All right. So if you're not raising your hand, you just prove that you are imperfect because you just lied in church. How many of you know if you lie, you fry? <laughs> Let me try that again. How many imperfect people do we have in God's house? Right? There ain't nobody perfect except him. Come on. Let's just, let's just, just be honest. Right? Let's just be honest. But there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. But there are great marriages. And there are great marriages. And I think if we would be honest, all of us, some way or another, whether you're single, married, we're all learning about marriage. We're all learning about marriage. And usually our game plan or vision for marriage or family is typically based on the model that we saw demonstrated in front of us, whether that be good or, or bad. Now, for some of us, we're learning marriage by watching This Is Us. Right? Some of us are learning marriage by the culture. Some of us, and this is why some marriages fail, is because we're allowing culture to define what marriage should be in our lives, right? And in movies, I mean, it's just so subtle sometimes of what marriage should be. And so what I think is important is that we look today at the heart of God. What is his heart for marriage? Now, I didn't want to ever build a church that we just talked about do's and don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. That's how I grew up. So as a Christian, I didn't, know, I didn't know anything that I could do. And yet the Bible says I can do all things through Christ. The Bible says all of these things that I can do, but we don't seem to talk about those. We just talk about the no, 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 no. How fun is that? And so we are definitely going to talk about do's and don'ts. The Bible talks about that. But here's what I want us to focus on, the heart of marriage. See, so many times, I even believe this in the church today, we're out there trying to change the world's behavior. What the world needs is a heart transformation by the presence of God. That'll change behavior. It's a heart transformation. And so this morning, if we look at what was God's purpose in marriage, I want to look at his heart. And I think it's so important why we look at God's heart. Why? Since God designed marriage, we need to let him define it. Amen. Since he invented it, he created it, we are going to look at how he defines it. Because if he defines it, and I do it the way he defines it, I can have success. And I want to just give you three things this morning. Here's number one. Marriage was God's idea, not man's. Not man's. It wasn't a human idea. It wasn't a culture idea. It's God's idea. The first book of the Bible, by the time you get to the second chapter in Genesis, God's already talking about marriage. He loves marriage. He came up with it. Look, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And all the men said? <laughs> and the Lord said, let me say this, and God said. 
it is not good for the man to be alone. Yeah. Amen. I will make him a helper, listen to this, comparable to him. Skip down to verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. We are going to see the first display of anesthesia. This is the first surgery in the Bible. I wonder where we got this idea to put people asleep and then do an operation. Hmm, maybe from Genesis. He caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. So basically, God just gave Adam a bunch of pasta and carbs and he gave it, right? And he said, this is good. No, he didn't say that, right? He causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And look, it says he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord had taken from Adam, had made into woman. Is there any women in here today? All right, you did better than the guys. All right. And he brought her to the man. Verse 23. And Adam said, and now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Shall she be called woman because she was taken from man? So Adam goes into a deep sleep. God opens up his rib and he takes her, his rib, Adam's rib, and he makes Eve. Did you notice that God makes man from the dust of the earth? Isn't that interesting? You don't see usually little girls playing in the dirt, but you see little boys playing in the dirt and eating dirt. And so Adam goes into this deep sleep and he wakes up and he sees a naked woman next to him. And he goes, whoa, man. Whoa. Whoa, man. Whoa. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. This is the Bible. Come on, it's better than Game of Thrones. <laughs> and they were covered in God's glory. Whoa, man. Guys that are single, I hope you meet your, whoa, man. And that's where we got the name, woman. Because why? She was taken from man. So here she is. Now I want you to notice something. The first thing before this happens, and we should have tracked back, but I don't have a lot of time. But the first thing God gives Adam before he gives Adam Eve, he gives Adam a job. So Adam's job was to name all of the animals. God put him on this earth to subdue and have dominion and name all the animals. Ladies, if you are here and you are single, can I just tell you, if you are thinking about marriage, let's just make sure, number one, that he has a job. There's a whole book in the Bible called Job. Come on, somebody. It's called Job. You call it Job, I call it Job. It's in the Bible. This is why, for some of us men, we love to work. We love to work. I love to work. As a matter of fact, my wife came to me, like, you work too much. I was like, I love it. It's part of how I, we were created. We were created to work. But notice what God does when he steps in. He says, I don't want you to be alone. That word alone means this. It's not good for man's strength to be spread out that way. So I'm going to bring you a helper that's comparable to you. I want you to notice that because it's so important if you're in the plans or thinking about getting married that you have a helper that is comparable to you, that you have the same goals. That you're going. The Bible says, 
How can two walk unless they be agreed? You know, when Val and I got married, we talked about, hey, what are we going to do with our lives? What is the mission? I had to present to her what the mission was of what we were going to do. We talked about what she did. We talked about what we did. Why? To see if we could be joined together and walk together. I love counseling people before they get married because some people are like, well, he's just so cute. Yeah, but the reality of it is, is have you ever worked on a project together? Because life is a project that you have to work on together. And if you cannot stand and be in the same room when things get a little edgy, then you're going to spend your life with that person, right? And I'm going to be honest with you. If you have a different vision and they have a different vision, it's called division, and so you have to make sure. And we understood our roles. Val was like, hey, listen, I'm a physical therapist. I work on the outside of the body. You're a pastor, and you work on the inside of the body. I was like, whoa, that's pretty profound. And she was right. And she's like, you know what? What I want to do is I want to help and support the vision of what you have. I want to see you succeed. And what I'm going to do, and we're doing it today. She's a physical therapist. She is the biggest supporter of this church. She is a giver. And you know what? It's because of her role at this point that we are able to do what we are able to do. Because she understands her role and I understand my role. But the first thing God gives Adam is a job. But then he brings somebody in his life to help them to help him distribute his strength. And here's what God was saying when he was saying to Adam, it's not good that you be alone. Not only that you not spread your strength out this way, but listen, here's what God was doing. God was saying, Adam, I'm going to make someone to help you just like you are helping me. See, Adam, God put Adam in the garden and created life so we could live in life. And then he put Adam in the garden to begin to name and use his creativity to begin to name animals. What? Now listen, don't misunderstand me. God didn't need us. He wanted us. That's a big deal. You may need me to come over and help you move. Oh, but when you want me to come over to hang out and have dinner, oh, that's better. And see, when we look at God, God didn't have to create Adam. You know what he did? He created Adam because he wanted relationship. Listen, God wanted a family. Do you know this? God didn't want to spend eternity without you. Now, let's just be honest. He could have. He could have said, I'm God. There's none like me. I don't need no. And you know what? He's right. But it wasn't about the need. It was about God wanting fellowship with man. And he wanted, come on, somebody, this is, this is good. God wants you. He doesn't just, what well, God needs, he don't need you. He wants you. He loves you. So he created man, and he says, look, I want to create someone for you, because Adam's looking at the hippopotamuses, and he's going, uh-uh. He's looking at the elephants. He's like, eh, that's not, not my thing, you know? And then, he's, and then God, okay, look, it's not good, Adam, that you be alone. I want to make somebody that's going to help you spread your strength. I want to make someone that's comparable to you and to help you like you're helping me. Is this good this morning? And so watch this. He falls asleep. And what God does is he takes a rib from Adam, right? And he pulls it out and he makes Eve. Now, I just wondered, why did God take the rib from Adam? Why didn't God just go, boom, 
woman. That's what he did with Adam, right? Took him from the... But you know what? I think that there's a lot of symbolism here. See, I believe that God didn't take the woman from Adam's foot so Adam could stomp and have dominion over her. And he didn't take the woman from Adam's head, right, so he could rule over her. What God did is he took Eve and woman out of man's rib because that is the closest thing to man's heart. It's the closest thing to man's heart. And it shows us today that, you know what, when it comes to man and woman, that we're equal. As a matter of fact, when you look in the New Testament, the Bible says there's no male or female. That when God sees us, and I know, and I've been praying for you today because there's this idea when you start talking about marriage, that marriage is about male domination. Listen, God didn't take Eve from Adam's foot. He took Eve from Adam's side to be a partner with you. Come on, somebody. I thought I'd get a better amen from the ladies there. And so when we fast forward into the New Testament, Paul starts to talk about marriage. Why? Because God created it. And we're gonna find out what is this mystery of marriage. Turn to Ephesians chapter five, verse 20. And I'm hoping today for maybe some of you that are thinking about marriage, that you'll actually think about it. It's a huge deal. And maybe today you'll walk out of here and understand what was God's heart. And not only that, if you're here today and you're married, that today would help you understand God's heart. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Now, before Paul starts to talk about marriage, he's going to start breaking down relationships. How many of you know life is about relationships? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. It's going to set the precedence. Let's read. It says, giving thanks. Always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 21. Submitting to one another in what? Come on, can you say that? Submitting to one another what? In the fear of God. So this is interesting. God is letting me know, number one, my first relationship, my first priority is my relationship with him. Submitting to the fear in the fear of God. The word fear means, listen, reverence and respect. R-E-S-P-C-S. Forgot how to spell it. Sorry, I don't listen to that song. Reverence and respect. I've been reading this new translation of the Bible. It's really, really awesome. It's called the Passion Translation, right? Passion Live Church, and uh, you can check it out. I'm going to read just a little bit from it, and uh, you can go home and read the New King James on it. But I want to, I love the way that this says this, because I was going to say it like this to you anyway, but then I read in the Passion Translation, right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, watch, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. But look at the Passion Translation. It says this, out of your reverence for Christ... Be supportive in love. So watch. My first relationship always has to be with Christ. You have to cultivate that. That has to be a priority. Why? Everything else flows out of that relationship. I know people, you know people, that have a hard time relationally. And I'm going to submit to you today, when there's trouble this way, it's because there's trouble this way. Right? And so... I can only submit to you when I've already submitted to Christ. And you can only submit to me to the point that you are submitted to Christ. 
Because before we talk about, you know, my relationship, and here's where a lot of people are. Their, their marriage is number one. Your marriage is not number one. Your relationship with Christ is number one because my marriage flows out of my relationship with Jesus Christ because I'm no good without him. I'm not a good husband without him. I need him, but out of my reverence for him will come every other relationship. And that's why it's tough when you get married. There is just this focus where I'm just gonna focus on them, focus on them. If all you do is focus on your spouse, you will fail because you need Jesus in your relationship. You know why? Because he designed marriage, so let him be in the marriage. I know because I've done this. I've done this. If I just tried to treat people the way I think, it don't go right. But when I start to treat you out of the reverence and respect that I have for God, I will treat you differently. I will treat you differently. So watch this. My submitting to others comes out of my fear of God, my respect for him. And so my submitting to you comes out of my reverence for the Lord. Everything flows out of that relationship. I put it this way in my notes. My relationship with God fuels every other relationship. It fuels it. When that is not right, this is not going to be right. I'm just telling you. Some people think, and you think, I got a problem with my spouse, blah, 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 blah. Can I just encourage you, number one, start looking at your relationship with God first. Look at your relationship with God first. Everything flows out of that. See, my relationship with God has taught me how to submit. Let's look at that word, submission. It's, a lot of people use that in the wrong way. But sub means to come under. Mission means that there's a mission. So I look at God, and he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God's mission was to save the world. I've heard people say this. I've heard people say before, oh, you know what? It was my sin. It was your sin that put Jesus up on the cross. It wasn't your sin that put Jesus up on the cross. It was Jesus' love for you that put him on the cross for you. Because let's just tell the truth this morning. Jesus could have left us in our sin. Jesus could have left mankind where he wanted to if he wanted to. But the Bible says he so loved the world that his own love put him on the cross so you wouldn't perish. So he can have more sons and daughter and he can have a family. Come on, somebody, this morning. So submission means I, sub, come under the mission of Christ. I love his mission. That's why when you're picking a church, it's so important. What is the mission of the church? I ain't going to submit to no church. Well, you're not going to submit to no church because you probably don't submit to God. Let's just be honest. Because I want to find a church that has the mission that Jesus has. So when you come to growth track, we're going to talk about our mission. And you decide and you pray, should I come under that mission? When last week I talked about feedback. I talked about, you know, would you date you? Would you marry you? Here's one of the questions I ask myself. Would I come to this church if I wasn't the pastor? Would I come to this? Do I like the mission of the church? I want a church that's reaching people. Not just Christians. Non-Christians. I want to be able to see the world change. Come on, somebody. That's the mission. Go into all the world. 
Not just going to Vista Marietta High School while we're here. No, going to all the world. Preach the gospel, right? That's the mission. I can come under that. That's the, all right, that's good. And then you know what our mission at Passion Life, mission, right, is reaching the lost, right? And then teaching, helping people to walk in their relationship with God. Is there discipleship happening? And then are people leading, right? Thank God that people in our church are leading. Come on, give Zach a great round of applause. He did the offering this morning, right? Let's encourage people, right? He's doing, when people come up here, let's encourage them, right? But the submission is me coming under submission of the mission. Ladies, when you're about to date, if you think it's starting to get serious, ask this question. So what's the mission? Because if I am supposed to come under, I want to know what the mission is. Well, we're just going to chill. <laughs> we're just going to hang out and watch Walking Dead. Now, if that's a great mission for your life, hey, it's a free country. But what is the mission Right? Here's why I submit to him. I love his mission. And my submitting to him helps me submit to you. Come on, somebody. And notice, I submit to you in the fear of the Lord. Now, you may be here today and things are not where they need to be in your marriage. Pastor Phil, you just do not know my husband. I do not. But I know God. And can I just tell you, if you will submit to him, God will make you salt and light to that person. Here's what we do. We try to change other people. Don't ever get in a relationship to try to change other people. All we can do is let God change people. All we can do is be the influence and the salt and the light. You can't change anyone, but God can. So here's my encouragement to you. If your husband is not where he needs to be, maybe he's not even a, a Christ follower, submit yourself to the Lord and watch how you will treat him. And as you submit yourself to the Lord, he will see a difference in you. And then he begins to see what Jesus is really like. Come on, somebody. But here's what we do. We look at the other person first instead of looking at our relationship with Christ. And I want to say that again. It's so important that that relationship be good. See, I have learned submission to Christ the hard way. First, it was not thy will, God. First, it was Phil's will. And many of us have lived that way. God, forget about your will. But you know what? My will led me to a point where I was on my knees, almost committing suicide, saying, Lord, I, I just have lived it all. I don't know what to do. And he said, you know what? Take your life and give it to me, and I'll give you a life that you've never imagined. He's done that just up until this point. But you know what? I was living my own mission, right? I was living my own mission, and it was a mission impossible. But when I submitted to his mission, it became a mission of possibilities. And so it's not a bad word. It's just coming under the mission. And so we need to understand life is about relationships and God puts you on earth to learn two things, to learn how to know how to love him and to learn how to love other people. Somebody came to Jesus and just said, Jesus, come on, you know, which is the greatest commandment? Basically, how do, would you sum up the whole Bible? And Jesus said this. He said, you know what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's number one. Look, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what happens when I know that God loves me and he's pouring his love 
loving to me and I'm loving him, I can love other people. Now, why are you starting here? Because it's important to know that God wants us to submit to one another. I can tell you today, I am a better man, even though I have peach pants on. Come on, somebody. I'm a better man. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. You know why? Because I've submitted to Christ. I'm submitted to him. Now, has my wife helped me out? Absolutely. But listen, it wasn't her responsibility to make me a man. It wasn't her responsibility to dominate me and say, you know what? Because guys ain't looking for a mother. Yes. Amen. See, there's, are the guys in here today at all? Unless you're looking for a mother. Maybe that's, that's a whole different message in our time. It's a whole different message. I didn't come prepared to preach that one today. But you know what guys are looking for? A helper. A helper. Have you heard this message before? Okay, no, I'm just kidding. So it's all about, listen, but sometimes we do that. We're waiting for our spouse to make all the changes that we know. It only comes from God. That's why you want your spouse to have a great relationship with God. It always blesses me to watch couples that sit in here and listen and like, man, we're submitted to God. You're going you're gonna to succeed. But there's also couples who are, I ain't going to go to church. I won't. That's right, because you won't submit to anyone. That's why your life is arrayed. That's why your life is that, like it is, because you're living for your own mission. And how's it working for you, right? How's it working for you? And I hear people say, I'll just change them. No, you ain't going to change anybody. Listen, if God can't change someone, you can. That's why it's important that you keep prioritize your relationship with him. So according, now listen, according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submit to each other. Stop right there. So for me as a husband, am I supposed to submit to my wife? Yes. Is she a one another? Yes. So she is. It's not hard. Because we're submitting to one another. Oh, that changes when you get married. No, she's still one another. She's still one another. Submit to one another. So for me, as a husband, am I supposed to submit to my wife? Yes. Out of what? Fear of the Lord. I'm supposed to value her how God values her. As my wife, is she supposed to submit to me as a husband? Yes. Why? Because we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, the fear of the Lord is what keeps everything healthy. The reverence for God. Submission without the reverence for God is unhealthy. That's why your relationship with God is so important. Because there will be people who will submit to you, but they're submitting to you out of the reverence for the Lord. And that's really powerful this morning. Could you imagine, even in our culture today, if we reverence the Lord and we submitted to each other as we were out and about? Now listen, now do I submit to you and you submit to me because I deserve it? No. You know what? I submit to you because I revere Christ. That's a whole nother level. It's not about all this and that. It's about I'm going to submit to you and treat you out of my respect for Jesus Christ. Man, this is good this morning. I need to hear this. We all need to hear this this morning, right? Because in marriages, it's like, well, who's the boss? I want to know who's the boss. Hey, that hasn't been on TV for a long time. 
So marriage is God's design. And he wants us, Paul says, when we start with relationships, submitting to one another. Now here's number two. Marriage is not only from God and through him. Listen, it's also for him. It's also for him. So the question is, what did God have in mind when he created marriage? What was he thinking about? What was his heartbeat? Listen, marriage is meant by God to put the reality of the gospel on display in the world. I just gave you in that sentence what Paul called the mystery. Now, usually as a speaker, I would hold this to the end and I bring you along to this big crescendo, but I'm actually going to work backwards if you can follow me. I'm going to give you the mystery right up front because if we can understand the mystery, then we can understand the roles and the responsibilities of what the mystery is talking about because here's the reality. We don't understand the roles and the responsibility. What's she supposed to be doing? She's my wife. And what is he supposed to be doing? Right? We don't understand that because we don't understand the mystery of what it's all supposed to be. So if we can understand God's heart, then all of the roles begin to come together. Why? Because if God designed it, let's let him define it. Right? So marriage is meant by God to put the reality of the gospel on display for the world. Marriage is designed by God to display his glory in a way that no other event or institution does. And what we can say about marriage is it exists for God's glory. Listen to this. It exists to display God. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. It says, For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father. His father and mother. Why would a man leave his father and mother for marriage? Now, this isn't talking about we ignore our father and mother. It's talking about a different prioritization. Now, right, our what is the first relationship I have that's important? God. When I get married, my second most important relationship is the kids. We'll talk about that a little bit later. My second priority is my marriage. Because if marriage ain't right, kids ain't right. We're going to talk about kids, raising kids. We're going to talk about your in-laws and your outlaws. And some of them you have allowed to come between your marriage and your first relationship with God. And he says, this is a reprioritization. When I say I do and she says, I do, now the next priority in line of my relationship with God is my wife. Not mother-in-law, father-in-law. It is my wife. Come on, say a good amen today. Listen, you're supposed to leave your mama, guys. And I'm not talking about a location. I'm talking about you're more connected with your mama. She'll always have her place. But some of us have allowed our marriages to fail because we've allowed mama to get involved. All right, I'm going to talk to the screen so I don't offend anybody today. <laughs> and guys, the same way. I'm a mama's boy. But I thank God my mom prioritizes her relationship with God. And she says, Phil, I love you and Val. And I know you're spirit-led and we're going to pray for you. But she doesn't get involved in our business. But this is why the Bible is saying, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be, watch this, joined to his wife. And the two shall become what? One flesh. Shall become one flesh. And the two shall become one flesh. And this is the great mystery. Are you ready? But I speak concerning what? Christ and the church. 
So here is this mystery. Paul is going to reveal to us that God in his heart, when he's thinking about marriage, he's thinking about Jesus and the church. Ready? I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. It's, it's just amazing. In verse 32, it says this. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. So here's number three. Now we see that marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to his redeemed people, the church. So the ultimate purpose is to put the covenant relationship of Jesus Christ on display. This is why marriage exists. If you're married, this is why you're married. Let me say it this way. In other words, it's about portraying Jesus Christ. Watch this. Jesus Christ and the way that he relates to his people. It's about showing in real life the glory of the gospel. What did Jesus do? Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for imperfect people. Now, we say this, maybe you're coming back to church, you haven't heard this, but we are the church. A church is not a building, a church is a people. So listen, it's so important. We are a people. This is what God calls us. So when you receive Jesus in your heart, you become a part of the church. Now, the Bible also calls us as the church, the bride of Christ. I know, I know, I know it's a little tough, especially for a guy to tell people, yeah, I love Jesus and I'm the bride of Christ. As a male, it's tough to say that. But when you understand marriage, you understand that Jesus is the groom and his church is the bride. And this is the picture that he starts to paint in us. Now, I want you to understand this. The bride was imperfect, but the groom is perfect. We have an imperfect church. We're just imperfect. But thank God we have a perfect groom we have a perfect groom. And so Jesus died for sinners and he took an imperfect bride, his church, listen, with his own price and his blood, he shed and covered her with the garments of righteousness. He makes us the perfect bride. So when I say bride, I'm talking about you as you and I are the bride of Christ. This is all God's creativity, his imagination. Now, listen, here's what's important. That's why it gets under my skin when people say, I don't care about the church. You know what? I'll go to church. Though we don't go to church, we are the church, number one. Wherever we go, there should be church. Church is a gathering of people, right? We are the church. But can I just tell you this? When I hear people talk about church and talk negatively about the church, don't get me wrong. The church has done some, some bad things. We're imperfect. But I hear people like, ah, there's no importance for me to get together. And they talk about the church. You just better be careful because you're talking about the bride of Jesus Christ. That is the church. And can I just tell you, that's like you coming up to me and saying something about my wife. You come up and say something about to me. Come on, hold me back, Bob. Hold me back. Bob's our head usher. Come on, hold me back, Bob, talking about my wife. So can I just encourage you? When you talk about the church, you're talking about the bride of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Now, this is going to help us with the roles and the responsibilities. Because now we understand the mystery that marriage is about Jesus and his bride, the church. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Listen to this. So he starts talking about the roles for wives, 
right? This means being supportive. One translation says, submit to your husbands. Watch. So is the church supposed to submit to Jesus? Let me ask that again. So is the church supposed to submit to Jesus? Yes. As the church. I don't want to go to a church that's not submitted to Jesus. He's, he's who we worship today. So watch. Wives, this means be supportive, submit, come under the mission, right, of your husbands like you are tenderly devoted to the Lord. So what he's saying as a wife, when I look at my husband, when I submit to my husband, I'm doing it out of my relationship to the Lord, right? Verse 23, for the husband provides leadership for the wife. Now, I want you to know something. The husband here is representative of who? Jesus. The wife is representative of his church. Can I ask you a question? Does Jesus provide leadership for the church? The Bible says he is the head of the church. And so the Bible also says in other translations that the man is the head. What does that mean? It means that the man is the leader. Now watch this before we start going, oh yeah, I I just can't wait for this part. Come on, listen to this, honey. Before you jump in, I want you to listen to what Christ's leadership is like. Because I'm supposed to represent him. Now watch this. I love this. For the husband provides leadership for the wife, just as Christ provides leadership for the church. So I'm supposed to provide leadership to my wife, just as Jesus provides leadership for the church. Ooh, that's a big role right there. And just as Christ provides leadership for his church, as what? The Savior. So now he's starting to define what a leader is. The leader head is a Savior head. A leader is the one that goes first. So can I ask you a question? When it comes to the church and the wife, Jesus and the husband, who died for who? Jesus, because he is the leader. Leaders mean we go first. Leaders mean that we are the one. Jesus went first, sacrificed himself, bled, and gave himself for his church. So when God looks at me as the man, he wants me to be a savior leader. And you know what Jesus is? What kind of leader is he? He is a sacrificial leader. Come on, somebody. So this is what he says to the husband. I'm to provide leadership as Jesus, the Savior. So leaders go first. The head means I give my life for her. Let me say it this way. What type of leader is Jesus? Jesus is a serving leader. Leader doesn't mean that I am to dominate. Leader means that I am to serve. I am to serve. Yeah, you guys, you can give the Lord a great round of applause. Your wife will really like that. Passion Translation, Ephesians 5.25, and to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same devotion that Christ demonstrated for his bride. Who's the bride? The church. And he died and sacrificed for her. So when God looks at me as the man, he says, Phil, you're the leader. That means you go first. When anyone needs to sacrifice, you go first. What kind of leader is he? He's a sacrificing leader. What type of leader is he? Jesus is a living 
life savior. Jesus is a loving savior. Can I ask you this? Is Jesus a herder or a healer? He's a healer leader, not a herder. So I don't lead by domination. I lead by sacrificing. And so when a woman sees a guy who's sacrificing, she says, I can submit to that. I can come under that mission. So I'm supposed to provide leadership, listen, just as Jesus provides leadership to his church. How many think Jesus is a good leader at the church? Come on, somebody. He's good. He's a savior. Phil, you just don't know my wife. You just, you just don't know my wife. You know what Jesus would say? Well, my church isn't perfect either, and I still laid down my life. So look at, ready guys? Look at the method that Jesus uses on his bride. You ready? Because Jesus is smart. He created marriage. Watch what he does. This is his method, guys, that he uses on his bride. If Jesus uses it and it works, I think we can use it. Look, again, passing translation, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. To make us holy and pure, talking about Jesus, cleansing us through the showering. Girls love showers. Can we have a shower? Can we have a baby shower? Can we have a wedding shower, shower, shower? Guys don't like showers. To make us holy, at least my son doesn't. He doesn't want to shower. I don't want to make us holy, pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. Verse 27, all he does in us, Jesus does in us, his bride, is designed to make us a mature church for his pleasure until we welcome a source of praise of him, glorious and radiant, beautiful, holy, without fault and flaw. So, Let's wrap it up here. How does Jesus treat his bride? How does Jesus make her beautiful? You know what he does? He does it with the washing of his word. Can I just tell you, as the bride of Christ, I'm thankful for the word of God. Because can I tell you, this is what Jesus, the groom, did for me, the bride. He spoke over me and he said, you are more than a conqueror. He spoke his word. He didn't say, Phil, you just never do anything right. <sighs> he speaks his word. His word has made me a better bride. His word says you can do all things through Christ. I know, but I made mistakes. No, you can do. And so his word comes to me and it cleanses me and it renews my mind. And you know what it's making me? It's making Phil Valdez into a better bride for Jesus Christ. And so for me as a husband, our words are so important of what you're speaking over your wife. What if your wife turned into what you said? And maybe that's why the culture of your family is the way it is, because it's just reflecting the words that you're saying. Because the Bible says in his word that death and life are in the power of my tongue. Am I just wife? I'm just not attracted to her. Why don't you start speaking how beautiful she is? Why don't you start telling her how sexy she is? Come on. It's time for some of you to bring sexy back. Well, it's just, that's just not the way it is. Faith doesn't speak what it is. Faith speaks those things as not as though they were. You're an imperfect bride, but he speaks his word to you. Why? To perfect you and make you into this beautiful bride. Come on, ladies. Come on. Let's give the Lord a good round of applause. Come on. We need some words. His word has made me a better bride. So for me, I'm a better bride because of his word. So let's end here. Because I didn't forget about you, ladies. I talked about the guys, 
But here's the last one for today. So as the wife, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, for wives, this means be supportive, submit to your husband. Watch, like you are tenderly submitted to the Lord. You don't know my husband. He's, he didn't say, based on your husband's performance, he's saying, submit to him, watch this, as you would to the Lord. Start treating your husband and be devoted like you would to the Lord. Now, obviously, if your husband asks you to do things that are immoral, obviously, we're not talking about that. But I guarantee you, maybe if you start treating him like a savior leader, maybe he'll start to act like one. And this is what God is saying to us as the church, his bride. He wants a church that is submitted to him. And it says this, submit to your husbands out of the reverence for the Lord. Verse 33, so every married man should be gracious to his wife just as he is gracious to himself. And every wife should be tenderly devoted, respect, one translation says, to her husband. Do you know that this is what Jesus desires from us, his church, is to be devoted to him. Are you a devoted bride? Are you a devoted bride to this groom that we have? You know, as we end today, I've heard guys say this when they have their first child. Before I had my first child, even my brother, he would say, Phil, you just, you, there's just nothing like it. And here's what they say, watch. They say, looking at my child, I now understand how God feels about me. In marriage, the marriage is supposed to represent the relationship between Jesus and his church. And when that relationship is great, it's absolute heaven. And so the purpose of marriage is for us to experience what God has for him and his church. Now, if you're not married here today, listen, let me just tell you, you're still part of the bride of Christ. Come on, somebody. You're still part. But marriage, the world is supposed to look at our marriage and see the relationship and the commitment and the sacrifice that Jesus had towards his bride. And then it brings him glory. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.